the quantified body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the quantified body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Welcome to the quantified body. This is your host, Damien Blinkinsop. This episode, we're going to start a new trend on the quantified body. We're going to start doing practical quantified body experiments. With pretty much every guest who comes on the show, I'm actually experimenting with the advice, the biomarkers, and the tools and the tactics that they give us. So as examples, some of the things I'm currently doing, I'm doing the Walsh protocol to uh, fix some non-optimized aspects of my brain chemistry. That's from episode two. And just recently, I started to do fasting in a more rigorous approach. And this is from episode 16 with Dr. Thomas Seafried. And if you look back at that episode, that was about the three to five day water fast as a potential tactic to help us ward off to reduce the risk of cancer or for someone who has cancer, actually to help treat the cancer. With these kinds of episodes, we're going to put a lot more information on the blog, the charts, the tracking, all of this kind of information, the actual data, the biomarker data that I got from the experiment and what the outcome was. So it's going to be actually more useful than usual to go to the blog in these cases. So for today's episode, this is at thequantifiedbody.net forward slash fast, F-A-S-T, And you'll find all of the charts, the backup information to everything we're talking about. So today's episode's got a lot packed into it. Going to go over why I wanted to do a five-day fast, what's in it for me, what's the upside. Going to talk about some of the downsides. Going to talk about the practical stuff, like how how to plan it out, how to do it. Going to have a discussion with a couple of my buddies who also did water fast to get the experience angle to it and get some other perspectives on why you would do a water fast and how it's going to be. A lot of people are afraid of water fast, like a five day water fast seems pretty extreme to them. As you'll see in our discussions, it didn't turn out to be like that, although experiences do vary quite a bit. I'm pretty excited about the results of my fast, which was now just over three weeks ago. I actually got the benefits that I was looking for. As far as I can tell, I still have to gather some more data and I'm going to be doing some additional fasts with the same or slightly modified approaches. So this time around, it was a pure water fast of five days. So just not eating anything for five days, just just liquid. I did have some black coffee, but overall it was just water. I would love these types of episodes to be more interactive. So please go to the blog and tell me if you've done a water fast or if you're planning to do one. Ask me any questions in the comments on that page, thequantifiedbody.net forward slash F-A-S-T. That's fast. Let's have a discussion about this. Let's see what we can do with this. Let's see if we can all as a community use this as a tool to get the benefits, which you're going to see in a minute, are pretty cool. There's some pretty cool things, but something that's very natural. It's not a drug. It's nothing which has very many downsides, in fact. So this is really a great tool, which I'm going to be experimenting a lot more with. And I would love to hear your experiences from doing the same. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode, the meat of the content. 
Now, the first of all is why would you want to do this? Why would you want to do a five-day water fast? Well, if you go back to episode 16, you can get Dr. Thomas Seafried's take on this. Cancer is potentially a mitochondrial disease rather than a DNA disease. And this has implications for what we can do with blood glucose and blood ketones. Now, for all the information on that perspective, I suggest you just go to that episode and listen to it first if you haven't, and then come back here because that will give you a lot of context onto why this is worthwhile doing. Me, personally, I've had a lot of family members. In fact, every single family member that has died has been due to a form of cancer. So since my 20s, I've been conscious of cancer and death. And so it's been something that's been relatively close to me. I had an auntie who died of brain cancer. And my grandfather shortly afterwards died of stomach cancer. I was pretty close to my grandfather, who was a traveler like me. So he, he was really the biggest hit for me. And uh, it really led me to look at my life a bit more clearer. And to look at cancer and ways I could ward it off, I really don't want to die from cancer. It's probably the, the one thing I really, really do want to get away from, because it's not a nice way to go either. It tends to be a way that you slowly kind of get pulled away from life and you get pulled away from who you are in that dying process. So I really think it's one of the nastier, nastier ways to go. So it's since my early 20s, I've been conscious about it. I've been keeping an eye on the research and the kinds of things we can do in our lives to make sure that this doesn't happen to us in the long term. So, of course, when I listened to the episode with Dr. Thomas Seafree, I was pretty motivated to go and do this as soon as possible because of other things I'm doing at the moment. I had to plan in advance and slot it into a uh, specific uh, week and, and I had to prepare for it, like with the tracking and so on that I wanted to do to assure myself that I was getting the results that Thomas Seafried was talking about and using his markers. And I'll go into that in a bit more detail. Another big reason for me, which is potentially uh, a bit more personal and which really motivated me, pushed me over the edge. Wanted, I, I'm going to be planning to do this as soon as possible. I was jealous of other people who are able to do it before me, like some of my friends. And I noticed that uh, Tim Ferriss had also done it. And, you know, I was like, damn, I want to get on this. I want to get on this. I had to wait because I was doing some treatments and some other things that I didn't, the fasting would have interrupted. So that's why I waited a little bit to do it. But the reason behind this was the work of Walter Longo and basically some papers that have come out where he has found that there is stem cell based regeneration of parts, organs of our body and a reversed immunosuppression. So in particular with the immune system, there has been basically what happens during the fast is that 30% of your cells will get broken down and trashed with autophagy, which we've spoken about previously. Basically, the cells will get eaten up by the body. And so 30% of your immune systems will disappear during the fast, the older ones, and those will be rebuilt with new ones. So they'll be regenerated. Now, I personally have had something I've been dealing with, which I may have mentioned on previous shows a little bit, but I want to give you the full context here because this is a big motivator for why I did the fast and for the benefits I feel like I've got out of it. So I have uh, documented Lyme disease uh, since uh, the beginning of this year. I got the complete information on that and I, got, uh, I actually meet the CDC criteria from the US for having Lyme disease based on some IgenX labs, some, some, some good labs from the US. I also have another infection called Babesiosis. It's a blood parasite. So I have a couple of infections I've been dealing with for a few years since I got bitten by a tick in Phuket in Thailand. 
Okay, a lot of people get this from the US, but I managed to get it from Phuket in Thailand. It took me a while to figure out this was one of the things I was dealing with because I've been actually dealing with a variety of different things which were affecting my health. Okay, so some of the other presentations I've, I've given, say, a quantified self and so on, have talked about some of these other elements. But it turns out that Lyme and babesiosis are some of the bigger things behind the troubles and the struggles that I've had to deal with and that set me back these last three years. And I've been building, and it's one of the reasons I started the quantified body, because I was forced, basically, to quantify so many parts of my body and start working with data to fix myself. And that's how I came to love data, came to be so like passionate about this subject myself, because I have got so much better based on a lot of the insights that have been generated from this. And it's given me this vision of the future, this exciting future we're headed towards. And that's pretty much where the show came from. And it's why I'm so passionate and why I do this all the time, bringing episodes. And I hope the information that you can use, the practical information that you can use to help make your life better. Also, whether you want to be more productive, higher performance, which I'm hoping to uh, work on more or resolve chronic health issues like me or extend your longevity. And of course, I'm interested in all of those. I'm headed for all of those goals. And I just want to push myself to be the best version of myself uh, when it comes to biology. So when I saw Volta Longo's work, I really was inspired to try this out for myself. I was interested to see if I could leverage the improvements in my immune system. And that's something that like a functional or integrative doctor will often call the terrain, right? The environment of my body, my body's ability to deal with all sorts of things that come at it, the infections, uh, the toxins like heavy metals we've looked at and, and so on to recover, okay? to recover from chronic infections. How strong is my terrain, my immune system? And because of Volta Longo's work, I was like, oh, can I strengthen this so that I can make my the work of my integrative doctor, I'm seeing an integrated doctor who specializes in Lyme, and we're basically setting up a war plan to kill off Lyme over the next few months. Okay, we've already done a lot of work on other things to strengthen my terrain. And this was something I went to him with. I wanted to check off with him. It would be okay because obviously a fast can be a bit of a stressor also. So I checked this off with him. I showed him the research and he was like, yeah, cool. Sounds like a great idea. I've heard of this also. And I think it'd be something worthwhile trying out. So I tried this out because A, it'll give me a greater probability of getting rid of these infections completely, the Lyme and the babesiosis. And B, it will help me recover and get back to my full capacity quicker. These are my ideas. This is a hypothesis I wanted to test through this regeneration of the immune system, basically killing off old damaged white cells and replacing them with brand new shiny ones which are going to do their job more effectively and my immune system obviously hasn't been working fully for a while and that's actually uh, partly due to the Lyme infection the way it works spirochetes are the bacteria genus behind Lyme disease so there's many different species but you know there's they're a type of bacteria basically what they do is they manage to suppress your immune system which obviously makes it harder to fight the Lyme off so that's why Lyme can sometimes be difficult to get rid of in cases like mine. Where this is relevant to you, whether you have Lyme or anything else, is that a stronger immune system is obviously, a, you know, a stronger terrain is obviously something that can help you live longer, perform better in general. So while I have a very kind of specific problem I'm using this for, I think it's relevant to people who even like they don't know if they have any chronic infections or not or anything like this. The reality is that we're all dealing with some kind of load of chronic infection, of toxin load, and so on. We're living in this world, and actually it's kind of normal that we're always dealing with these things. So a stronger immune system can always be helpful for you, okay? It's not just for me, but 
if you're on the edge about doing a five day water fast and you have some of these reasons, they can push you over the edge. So obviously someone like me, I'm like, I want to do this today. So that might be some of the reasons that you would want to do this also. So let's talk about some of the results. Now, one of the first things I did is I wanted to control, get some control data, some baseline data about what my normal diet looks like in terms of blood ketones and blood glucose. So these are the things that Dr. Seafried recommends measuring and his index, the GKI, which is the glucose ketone index. So you can go back to the other episode, uh, episode 16, to get more insights into those. Basically, what I saw is that I'm in ketosis. I tracked nine days um, before I had my fast. And I saw that I'm in ketosis sometimes between one and say 1.5. And very rarely I go up higher. And a lot of the time I'm between 0.5 and one ketones. So I wasn't really in in a strong enough ketosis a lot of the time, uh, which was surprising because I might eat a relatively high fat diet. Every day I'll be having some ghee for breakfast, um, Dave Asprey's Brain Octane, which is concentrated MCT, medium chain triglycerides, basically. So that will also boost your your fat intake and your ketones. And um, avocados. And, you know, generally I have a high fat diet. I also have some protein and carbs and stuff. So it was interesting to see my data so that I could actually see where I am in terms of ketosis. And you can go back and look at the episode for Jimmy Moore. We talk a lot about ketogenic diets and ketosis and measuring it and why you might not be in ketosis and so on. So this also interfaces with that episode. So you can go check that out. Also, that's episode seven to get up to speed on all of this. I also looked at Seafried's glucose ketone index for the baseline. And most of the time I was between, say, five and 20 when with my standard diet on his index. Right. He says for therapeutic levels, you should be below one. That's when you're treating cancer and over 50 is generally where people are when they have chronic diseases like cancer. So you'd expect them to be consistently over 50 when they are dealing with these kinds of problems. So it's also a useful indicator just to look at as a on, on your normal standard diet level also, because it could all also give you some indication of some chronic disease or something you're dealing with the closer you are to 50 versus uh, zero. Okay, so getting into the fast, a couple of things I had to plan it, of course. So I had to plan some time, basically when I didn't have much going on, So I didn't want to have to do anything physical, like you shouldn't be doing this if you have to drive and and take any responsibility, basically. If you think about driving as a responsibility, you have to be alert and so on. You don't want to have to do it or looking after people or anything like that, like maybe not even looking after your kids while you're fasting, because you really, I think with every person, it's a little bit different. As we'll get into in the experience part of this, where we're talking to my buddies, Patrick Style and Patrick Kelly. But we'll find out that, you know, the variance and experience and how you feel and how physically weak and so on can vary. But it's it's a risk for some people. People get different symptoms and so on. So you want to plan it for a time when you don't have much going on and you can probably stay at home. I'm lucky. I can pretty much do what I want in my lifestyle. So I just had to plan some time when uh, I didn't have anything. I had to go out for a meeting or I don't know, a conference or anything like that. So five days when I could just do this. When I jumped into it, the most interesting thing that came out of this was for the first three days, I would say it was a bit more difficult for me. And in those first three days, what happened is like my numbers didn't change a lot. In my first two days, my ketones didn't jump up a lot and my blood glucose didn't jump down a bit. Well, on the third day, all the big kind of change took place. My ketones jumped up to four ketones. So I'd never had that before in my life. That's cool. And uh, they eventually got to 6.8 that's pretty high. And uh, my glucose went down to just under 60 milligrams per deciliter. 
These were numbers I'd never seen before in my life, so it's kind of fun to see those. The more important thing that I saw was that on day three also, for the glucose ketone index, which is really the basis of why I was doing this, it went down below one. So that's Seafried's therapeutic zone. Under one is, is where it starts to get into therapy. So that's interesting because if it didn't do that till near the end of day three, then if I did, he suggests either a three-day fast or a five-day fast. I feel like you really should be doing the five-day fast in my case. It will depend how quickly your glucose ketone index will fall. Mine took till three days. And I to give some context, I've done a lot of intermittent fasting and ketogenic dieting in the past. At least what I thought was ketogenic dieting because I haven't tested uh, sufficiently to know that as we give him my baseline data. So for two days, basically the two last days of the fast, I was in the therapeutic zone and I feel like that was effective. That's something that will help based on Seafried's research to protect me against future cancers by potentially killing some of them off, right? We all have small cancers in our body growing from a very young age, but most of these don't take hold. So the idea in basic terms, go to the other episode to check it out, but it's that the smaller cancers will get killed off due to lack of glucose when they're at this stage. So hopefully I managed to clear some cancer cells from my body during this fast over those two days of therapy. What was interesting was that for the day after the fast, you know, when I was refeeding, I was eating quite a lot, a lot of carbs. And I was basically, I was eating that day. I was eating a lot because I wanted to get back up to speed and uh, get my energy, energy back and everything. But still, I was still with the glucose ketone index under one for uh, the next day. Okay. In fact, I had one of my highest ketone readings uh, that day, 6.8. Um, so that was interesting to see. Not sure. It, take, it obviously takes your body a while to adapt to what you're eating. We think like it's direct. We eat something, it impacts our biology immediately. But in this case, my body had got used to the fasted state and it was using more ketones than glucose. So that was interesting. Really, this show is about making an impact. It's just not tracking these numbers for the hell of it. I want to make a, an impact. And, you know, in my opinion, if it's not a habit, it will not change your life. Okay. So this was a one-off experiment. It was a test to see if this was worthwhile doing on a more continuous level. So I'm going to be doing this going forward. So I'm thinking once per month or once per quarter, depending on how some other things I test work out because I see it improving my situation with my chronic infection, getting rid of that quicker, but also just helping me to feel better and have a stronger immune system overall. And it has some longevity benefits also, which we'll talk about in another episode. So one of my concerns, if I'm going to repeat this at the moment, I'm thinking once every, once every month or every six weeks, is a weight loss. Like, so some of you might be doing, what a fast is a great way to lose weight. I need to lose some weight. I don't need to lose weight. That's not where I am currently. Uh, I've never really needed to lose weight. So I'm normally more concerned with gaining muscle. And right now, because of the chronic infections I've been dealing with for three years, I've hardly done any exercise, in fact, and I'm maintaining a reasonable amount of muscle through a few hacks. But I don't want to lose a load of muscle because it's not easy for me to put it on right now because I'm not doing the exercise and so on. So I was uh, looking at this and I was like, ah, oh, man, like, I don't want to lose a lot of weight. So during the five days of fast, I lost nine pounds of weight, okay? And then looking at that two weeks, so two weeks since I finished, since my day five, on day 19, I had recovered about three, three, three and a half of those pounds, right? So I haven't recovered it all. I've lost six pounds overall. So if I'm going to repeat this, 
And what I did was I didn't consciously overeat afterwards. Maybe the first day I did a little bit. But since then, I've just been back to my standard diet. I didn't do anything different than usual because I wanted to see if this was something I could sustain over time. And the way it's looking is basically I'm going to have to consciously overeat a bit. I'm going to have to eat to gain muscle. I'm going to have to plan to gain muscle during the time I'm not fasting in order to just stabilize my weight because I don't want to be losing six pounds every month because of this I'm turning into some kind of skeleton or something like that, right? That's not the goal. So I think tracking weight's important if you're going to do this, especially if you plan to do it on a repeated basis. And of course, if you want to lose weight, this may be a mechanism, right? It, you could do this once per month and it would uh, surely be a very effective way based on my personal experience to lose weight. So there's that also. So the question comes up, how frequently should I fast going forward? And I think this is going to be personal for everyone right now, based on some of the work of Walter Longo, which I'm hoping, by the way, to get on the podcast soon. He's a difficult guy to get in contact with, but I'm you know, really excited about his work and I, I really hope to get him on soon. So we'll see about that. But based on his, he's talking about diets, diets whereby you'll do this once per month. And that's what I'm going to aim for because I have my specific situation I want to deal with quickly. I want to get rid of those little lime spirochete bastards, basically, as quickly as possible. Dr. Seyfried talks about doing this twice per year. Okay, so I'm going more aggressively. And for people with cancer, he says, like, you can go a lot more aggressive, of course. Then you have to look again at the weight because obviously you want to be careful with your weight. And that's why it would be important to do it from time to time, say once per month and gaining muscle in between if you had cancer. So obviously I'm not recommending anything for cancer here. This is just used as an as information. I hope it's useful to you if you're in these kind of situations. And of course, check out the research rather from Dr. Thomas Seafried and uh, Dr. Walter Longo if you are interested in doing this for medical uses. I'm obviously not a doctor or anything like that. So I'll also want to track some new things going forward in my future uh, use of this tool to further validate it, that I'm getting the results I'm looking for. The first part in, in validation would be to track IGF-1, insulin growth-like factor one, which features a lot in Voltaire Longo's research and uh, basically is behind the, the mechanisms which turn on genes, which are gonna help to regenerate the immune system. So uh, for my next one, I've already looked at labs in the UK that I can get to be able to track this during my next fast. So I'm gonna further validate uh, that I'm getting the results I want with that. Something a bit more pertinent to me, but which would actually be pertinent to a lot of people to track, is more like the safety, the risk dimension. And for me personally, I have some adrenal fatigue I'm dealing with, right? So basically I have low cortisol output, very low in the mornings, tested, documented. So I'll want to test this on my future one because I don't want to make it worse. Like when you go on a fast, it does stress your system. There's an element of stress there, which is not going to help my adrenals, right? Which I'm currently recovering from. They're feeling a lot stronger than before. So I, I want to make sure they continue to head in that direction. So that's something I want to keep an eye on during the fast. And I'm currently working out how I'm going to test for that. But there's basically a biohealth test in the US I use. It's, it's one of the better trusted ones based on the feedback from um, functional doctor practitioners I've seen. And it's a four point salivary test you take throughout the day. So morning and at our intervals through the day to see where your cortisol is at and your DHEA. So I'm looking at using that to see what the impact is of a fast. The other thing that's important is sleep. Sleep got a bit disrupted, as we'll talk about in the discussion in a minute. And that was pretty much for everyone. And I had my own case. Sleep is something very sensitive. It's a good indicator of stress levels. So it's something I want to track also. 
It's relatively difficult to track sleep. Currently, I'm using this new device. Sleep, I found, is something difficult to track automatically right now with the technology we have. I've tried quite a few technologies. I've looked at some of them. I'm just not happy with where it's, it is right now. We talked about this with Troy and, and Grignon a little while back also on the podcast. Right now, I'm using this device called the Healbee Gobi. So far, it tracks pretty well my sleep in terms of hours. That's really the base indicator. I just love that. Like, how many hours did I sleep and not have to think about tracking that? I'd love to be able to do this for my next fast. And the Healbee Gobi does that, but it's got some other user interface and battery quirks and other things which are making this device a real pain in the ass to use. So I'm hoping to find something better. But as I said, I've looked before and so far I haven't found anything. If you have any ideas, please put it in the comments of this episode. I'd love to hear about your experiences with anything that works automatically, easy, you can track sleep because it's one of the main things I would like to track better so I can optimize it over time without too much hassle. The other thing I want to look at is my productivity during a fast because if I'm going to be doing this once per month, I obviously want to be kind of productive. That's a big chunk of time every single month. I did a couple of tests with Quantified Mind during this first fast, which uh, gave me some uh, few little insights that there may not be any problem at all. And I was really productive actually during the five days, as, as we'll get into in a discussion in a minute. So I will want to track that a lot more because if it's going to be a routine, I want to make sure that I'm not losing basically nearly one week out of the whole month to productivity or just... <laughs> less creative. I mean, productivity is difficult to quantify because in my work, it's about creativity. It's about good decision making. These are the big creators of productivity for me. It's not just about whether I'm working or not. It's about whether what I'm working is actually really useful. So it's not just mental performance, but there are ways to track quantified mind, different aspects of mental performance. So I can start getting a look at that and trying to understand if it has any impact on my productivity. And finally, I also want to be optimizing the fasting, making it less disruptive and so on. Volta Longo has been doing a lot of work on what he calls the fast mimicking diet. So this is a diet uh, practice once per month. And there are two human clinical trials coming out this year, not published yet by him and his team with this fast mimicking diet, which will enable you to get the benefits he's tracked in terms of rebuilding your cells, regeneration, benefits for cardiovascular disease, cancer disease, and aging, while still eating certain nutrients and a certain caloric level, which is constricted, but still getting the benefits. So it might be less disruptive to life and less, more convenient and so on. The exact information isn't out on this yet, but this is definitely something I'm going to keep, be keeping my eye on and, and get the details on so that I can play around with that and see if it's better than the five-day fast, five-day pure water fast. Maybe I can get more out of my life by doing the fast mimicking diet once every month instead, getting the benefits and reducing any of the downsides. Okay, now let's go into the discussion with Patrick's, the two Patrick's, Patrick 1 and Patrick 2, sometimes we call them, about the fast and how it went. Um, a couple of the reasons why I'm going to get into this discussion is what I feel it, it can give you in terms of mental resilience. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about that just from practicing a fast. And also just as a new interesting experience to have. And I think everyone should do this once. It was just a lot of fun for me. I'm certainly excited about doing this more often, doing this routinely in my life. Meet Patrick One, Patrick Styles, and Patrick Two, Patrick Kelly, who have recently finished their own water fast. A few years ago, I watched this episode of uh, 60 Minutes, and it was on that caloric restriction society. The group of people who just- I saw that same thing. Yeah, it was on a few years ago. And I was like, wow. And I think they had a study on there as well 
about um, three monkeys. They had a control monkey that just lived a, a normal monkey diet. And then they had one that they overfed and became obese. And then one that they starved. And they followed the, the monkey for like, all three of the monkeys for like 20 years. And the one right, that right. starved yeah. had profound benefits. It was, had way more energy. It looked younger. The, the fat one, I think, was about to die. And the normal one was, looked much older, was acting like an old man. I mean, it's, yeah, it's one, it says a lot, I think. Um, so I watched that. And then one of my buddies, one of my best friends, actually, he's done, I think, three or four 10-day water fasts. And every time he does one, he's like, Pat, you have to do this. You have to try this. Um, I think you'd love it. It makes your body feel great. You know, there's profound benefits to it. You should do it. And I was like, ah, you know, I think I'll enjoy my life just by eating the things I want, but uh, in a healthy way and exercise. Like, because he, he does things in a really extreme level. He either goes all in or he goes none at all. The tipping point that actually made me do it was, yeah, after listening to the podcast that uh, you had up with uh, the guy who's the professor that is doing studies on how it could potentially be a preventative cure for or a preventative uh, deal for cancer. Right. So that's what got me into it. Right. And then right before I did it, I read a bunch of diaries that people had, like daily reports that people were doing, like how they felt, what to expect, things like that. And I normally only eat from noon to eight anyways. Not that that's so similar, but I wasn't hungry until the evening on the end of the first day. Right. So you've been doing intermittent fasting for a while. Yeah, I've been doing that for probably like a year. And I also, I don't know if this has anything to do with it either, but I drink five liters of water a day consistently. And I've done that for years. And when I was doing the water fast, I was also drinking five liters of water. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it was the only thing that could make me, I figured it wouldn't hurt. But then again, it, it would drain my electrolytes and stuff faster, I would assume. I, I mean, I would like to hear on that. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I felt absolutely horrendous when I was the first three. I heard from him. (laughs) We'll get into how horrible the experience was in a second. So this is Patrick one and Patrick two. So unfortunately that was just Patrick two. We don't have have a better way to talk about it. It's Patrick Kelly and Patrick Styles. Patrick one, we're going to call him Patrick one or P one. Patrick one, why did you do this? What was the interest for you? And Patrick, too, did you have any health issues or anything like that? What was your kind of background before you did it? Was there any any specifics? I've never had any issues. I've actually never been to the hospital. Okay, wow. Cool, cool. Yeah, I was not in that boat. I actually had some health issues that I wanted to take care of. And one of them was fixing my immune system with the hope that I would knock out the bottom 30% of the immune system that like wasn't functioning properly. So that was one of my motivations for doing it. How I got into it was your podcast, Damien. Really, I hadn't heard anything about it before then. And then the other thing was I was motivated to repair my mitochondria, which is just kind of something that I work on anyways, as far as a longevity, like kind of health thing as part of my uh, regime that I have in place. So that was pretty much it. What what tipped you? Was it one day you were just like, I have to do this? That's the interesting because I think some people are on the edge. They're like, yeah, it'd be a good thing to do, but they don't actually just get down to it or just plan it. I'm going to do this next week. Not at all. I just heard the idea and I wanted to pull the trigger. Yeah, I just took action. So I didn't think about it too much. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to do it. I was moving to Turkey, which is where I live right now. Um, so I did kind of have to plan it like a couple weeks in advance. So I waited until like I moved and then I uh, found an apartment in uh, Turkey and got settled in and stuff like that. Right, right. I remember we were talking about that because I was just like, just stop eating. And then while you're traveling, you won't have to eat. And, you know, thinking backwards and now having done the fest, I'm like, that was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like kind of clear my schedule and be prepared to take a huge hit like in my day to day performance, uh, which was a good idea because that absolutely happened to me. 
So I did not want to be like in a brand new city hunting for an apartment and, and stuff like that. The only good thing about that would have been is while I'm moving to a new country, I would have been like kind of still settling in to find like healthy food and stuff like that. Normally when I move, my diet goes right out the window and I eat like crap for a couple of weeks. And of course I stopped hitting the gym during that time too. So I take a big hit to uh, like my diet and lifestyle when I move. What was the thing that pushed you over the edge? Too. Uh, the thing that pushed me over the edge was definitely the the podcast. Although I've been considering doing it for ages, if someone looks into it enough, there's no question. There's benefits to it. The question is, do you either have the willpower, or is it worth the pain that you go through for it? And obviously, for us, we think it is, or else we wouldn't have done it. But I, I think it does take a certain kind of person to do it. It isn't easy. I mean, I've always been one of those people where, like, I'm like, ah, if I don't eat uh, dinner, I'm going to be dizzy and I'm, I'm going to be upset and grouchy and all this stuff. And that's the most common complaint that I hear from people. And that was the case. Like, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, for this week, we're not going to hang out. You know, like, this is <laughs> that's funny. And I actually chose a bad time. I've been hosting people uh, for the last like month and a half. So it's like, okay, as soon as they left, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And then about on the third day, I realized, oh man, I have to do a visa run on Monday. So I can't actually do a full seven days. So I want to, I'm going to, I'll do five full days. So both of you did five days. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did five days too. My reasons were cancer. I've always been, I've always thought if I'm going to die, it's going to be cancer. It's one of those things I've always had in the back of mind since my early twenties. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen. And you know, part of the background to that is like, I've had uncles and aunties and, and everyone who died in my family has, has been through some type of cancer. So that's just the background. I figured that I really want to make sure that that doesn't happen to me also. And uh, I've been thinking more about it about since my grandfather's death about five, eight years ago now. So I've been keeping up on the research and stuff. And I've been watching uh, what Seafried has been talking about with the potentially using that against cancer for quite a while. But getting him on the podcast made a difference for me. But actually, some things were actually this time around even more important for me, which was what uh, Patrick referred to. There's a lot of research from Volta Longo and some other people now talking about how uh, fast or three days to five days can regenerate the immune supply basically breaking down the 30%, which are older, older cells and so on, and just completely rebuilding them. That for me was pretty, pretty key. And I wanted to do it soon. And I want, had to kind of plan the timing because I've been doing all these other protocols to kill off Lyme and babesiosis uh, infections that I have. And part of the big deal with killing those off is when I'm talking to my functional medicine doctor, is that we have to make my terrain, my immune system stronger if we're going to be able to kick their asses. <laughs> it's kind of, that's basically the point. And so I'm doing everything I can from my side. And I okayed it with him because a fast can, can be a, a bad deal, especially if you're killing off some of your immune system. You're like, if you've got some nasty infections, maybe they'll just take the opportunity to kick your ass. So I did ask him about it. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, just take it one day at a time. And so I've been planning for months because I, I had to kind of plan it around other treatments and other stuff so it didn't interfere. And I couldn't wait to do it. And I was just kind of waiting, like, oh, I can't wait to do this. Patrick did it. And I was jealous because I was like, damn, man, you know. Um, he's already done his and he's already gone through it and then it was all over Facebook and everything. So I was looking forward to it. I've been doing the intermittent fasting and high fat diets like P2 for a long time, for maybe three years or so. I've been playing around with that four years maybe. And uh, ever since Tim Ferriss' The 4-Hour Body came out, I can't remember any, I think it was four years ago now. I didn't really fear it like everyone else. Like psychologically, I was like, I've done 36 hours before, I think. And it wasn't such a big deal. But I probably had the mindset before that, that like missing a meal is such a big deal. And you're going to lose weight and stuff. And that was one of the concerns of my mom, actually. She's like, you're going to lose too much weight. You're already like kind of skinny because you've been um, a little bit sick for a while and stuff. So she was like going a bit crazy about that. You can't 
not eat for five days, you'll lose a ton of weight. So that was another concern that people came up. I don't know if you came across any other concerns that people had. I think that's the most most common one. Like I think people don't realize how long they can last with the amount of energy they have on their body already. People find it crazy when you say, yeah, the average person could live, what is it, 40 days without food on average. So five days is really nothing. And I didn't lose that much weight, actually. I think I lost, I lost around 10 pounds. Um, and I, I gained that. How did you lose 10 pounds? I lost 10 pounds too. Exactly. Exactly the same. Well, nine, I lost nine pounds. I gained it back really, really quickly. I suspect, I don't know what the reason is. I suspect it has to do with my electrolytes being rinsed out and then they hold water. Right. And yeah, yeah. a lot of this, you're losing water. Yeah. Weight. Uh, I definitely lost. I mean, I've put on about half of it back. Well, not even a little bit less about if you 20%. eat 2000 calories a day, that's 10,000 calories in five days and uh, 3,500 calories is a pound. Is that, can you, can you actually crunch the math just like that? Is that a fair way to do it? That's what I was told by a doctor. So like 2.8 pounds is what that would come out to. I don't know if that actually holds up, if there's some variance in there, or if it depends on what type of calories you're eating, if it's like sugar or like a good fat. But I, your mat- there's different perspectives on this and it depends which camp you go with. I'm more of like, it matters what type of macros you're eating. It right. influences it. That would make sense. I noticed very little uh, weight change. I didn't have a scale to uh, weigh myself. So, but I would imagine maybe it was a, a few pounds at the very most. I mean, the sole fact that when you're, when you're 18, you can eat as much food as you possibly want. You don't gain any weight. And then the older you get, the easier it is to gain weight. So surely you can't just take the numbers straight with X amount of calories equals X amount of weight because that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's the argument. Not to get really deep into it, but also when you're fasting because of the stuff going on in your body, it's not, I don't think it's the ideal situation for losing weight either. You know, you say you regained all of the weight you lost pretty quickly. So if someone wants to use this for losing weight, it's it's probably not the ideal because of the situation your hormones are going to be in relatively stressed. How did the actual fast go for you guys? You were saying like you hated the beginning? I stayed up the night before I started the fast going on like a sugar binge because <laughs> I just arrived in Turkey and I was eating baklava and things like that. So, and, and I was with a friend. So we were having like espressos at like 3 a.m. That was also kind of my strategy because I was also going off of coffee and all supplements and everything. So I went just pure water. So I stayed up till 8 a.m. And then, so my first day I just slept. I woke up, I was kind of hungry, I lounged around, and then I went back to bed and stuff like that, so. Cool, so it doesn't sound, that wasn't so bad, that wasn't rough. Day one, no, day two was horrendous. <laughs> I had planned mine out uh, about a week in advance, so I had regular sized dinner uh, at 5 p.m. one night, and then I didn't eat again. Well, so actually I did sabotage, sabotage it. Um, oh yeah. That was an unrelated thing. So something came up related to work. Actually, it was my this infringement claims that shut down a bunch of my shit. And I was like, <laughs> damn, I have to focus now. Uh, I ate that meal on Sunday. And then I actually had a meal on Monday evening. And as a result, I had to restart the fast for five days. So it was only five days. But that sixth day, the first, the first day, I suppose, wasn't actually a real normal day. I had only ate one meal in about 24 hours. That's right. So it was kind of weird. But uh, yeah, the, the first day, uh, I didn't want to just eat a bunch of food beforehand because then that would, that's like abnormal, right. you know, like why not just go normally into it? Like I don't want to be hung over and go into it. I just want to normally go into it, right? Um, and the first, the first day was, was cake because I normally don't eat until noon anyways. And once a week, I normally don't eat until dinner the next day. So yeah, I haven't eaten anything today and that's, I do that once a week. So the first day was no problem. The second day was pretty bad. Like I started getting, my neck started getting really, really tense. I started getting dizzy. My body just felt, felt horrible. But the weird thing was, is that 
I was quite focused mentally. I was able to read. I was able to listen to an audiobook. Um, I was able to type. The problem was, was when I stood up or looked around, I would recognize that something's not normal. And I'm just like, I started feeling, feeling worse. That could be like some placebo going on too. I don't know. I think it's worse. So it's going to get worse. And then laying down to go to sleep, I'm thinking, man, my body is not normal, but I'm going to fall asleep and subconsciously let it do its thing, which was pretty bad. It was a lot harder than I thought. But like you said, everyone has their own experience. I don't know what causes the, the difference. What was the hard thing you were thinking about when you say it's hard? Is it like, like you're thinking about food all the time? You, you want to like, oh, shit, shall I just pack this in? Or is it because you couldn't work and get other stuff done you wanted to do? Yeah, the interesting thing was it, it wasn't even the hunger pains. The hunger pains were, were not hard mentally for me. It was more just how my body felt. It wasn't like I was craving food. It was more my neck sore, my back sore. I'm feeling dizzy, yet I'm doing nothing to fix it. I'm just sitting here letting my body do its thing. So it's kind of like the way I, could, I would compare it to someone who hasn't done it. It would be like, imagine you have the flu, but you're not coughing. <laughs> like I felt right. really, really bad. It wasn't hunger pains that was, was difficult for me at least my experience, but my buddy who's done the 10 day ones, he said that, yeah, it gets easier the more you do it. And he also said he always felt great when he did it. His body felt great. He always had high energy, even for the first few days, even though the first few days you would have hunger pains. Yeah. Do you know, have any idea what the variance is caused by? I have just had my opinions. There's no research or anything solid on it. I think it depends on the level of toxins in your body. For, for one thing could also, I mean, there's all these like pathogens, toxins, um, your nutrition status, as well because that influences how you detox and, and things like that and detoxification tends to kick in because you've got an empty stomach and your body's starting to break down fats where a lot of the toxins have accumulated over over time so that's actually a point i wanted to bring up in a second for me the 24 hours like honestly i didn't really feel this was a challenge at all but the one thing i had which is a, a really annoying symptom was a headache i don't know if you guys got headaches but i got a headache in the, at the end of the first day which went on and so I was going to do a pure water fast, but I know that caffeine will kick a headache for me every single time. And I just can't stand headaches. I hate them. I took some black coffee, killed it. And then it reappeared after about 48 hours. And I took some more coffee and it killed it again. And then I was fine for the rest of it. I didn't, the, the other symptoms I had, so I didn't feel like the first 24 or 36 hours. I think the hungriest I was, was day two. I felt a little bit hungry. But other than that, I actually didn't even feel hungry. A little bit? Yeah, I felt like my stomach felt a little bit, but I've been doing the intermittent fasting thing. For, so I'm thinking, I think I'm just used yeah. to that. And your high fat diet. Right. Where I try to do slow carb and I eat a lot of fats, but ultimately sugar and gluten still finds its way into my diet, especially when I'm not being disciplined. I was so hungry. It was like an overwhelming, crushing craving for food. It was like, I had no idea, but I'm severely addicted to eating food. And I'm not talking mentally, I'm talking physically, like a physical craving for food. So like, as it went on, like day, like three, four, five, I was, uh, I'd go out into the street. And what I noticed was I had a in, like super enhanced sense of smell. And I would just be walking on the street. I'd be like, that smells good. <laughs> and I would just like, and like everything kept bringing me back to food. I had friends in the States that were like sending me pictures of cheeseburgers and stuff <laughs> like that. So that was kind of funny. But uh, I've heard some people start dreaming about food. Um, I didn't dream about food. <laughs> yeah. I must say it was, it was really eye-opening, like breaking the habit of eating. Like it comes dinner time and I'm like, wait, I don't need to spend any time eating. I can just sit yeah. here. And it was, it was a crazy amount of time right. that mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of until I did this fast. Sure. Yeah. Like planning, going, getting food, eating food, cleaning up from food, cooking food. It's like a, 
the entire day is like centered around food. Yeah, I found it socially as well because I'm staying with my family right now. And I had my nephew and my uh, brother-in-law, my sister and my mom and dad there. And it was really antisocial because eating together is like the main thing of the family. When, when you get together, you're supposed to do, right? I was just like, all right, I'm not going to be eating for five days. And I, I saw a lot less of them, you know, it's just because I, <laughs> I was working and stuff. It was pretty amazing. That It was funny, like uh, my friend who lives here in Turkey, she was like, you're going to be a total dick. She was like, you're going to be hangry because I'm like P2, where if I don't eat, I can get really grouchy and stuff like that. And it was funny because I was the exact opposite. I was like really kind of like meek and mellow and subdued and, and everything like that. So I was actually surprised. I thought I was going to be more like kind of high strung and uh, grouchy, but like, you know, I had the hunger pains, but I just kind of like sat through it. So I actually went to some restaurants too, because of the social thing, because I was with her and like, we're walking around in Istanbul. I just got in here. So We'd go to some restaurant on the top of a hotel that can see the whole city. And uh, I just sat there instead of staring at the view and staring at person's food across the way. So did you walk around a lot? Because I did notice that I got a lot physically weaker on the last day. It was just steadily growing. So standing up, I got a little bit dizzy sometimes. And just my arms and stuff would like feel light and I didn't have as much control over them and they just felt weak. And that got steadily worse until the end of the fast. Uh, so the last day I went for a walk with my mom and... She's like, you should be doing this. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, I went for the walk and I was pretty weak and we didn't go very far. I was like, yeah, I think that's far enough. I don't, I don't want to push it. But mentally, I was switched on. And it might have been because I was having some black coffee as well. But I was really switched on and I got so much work done. Uh, I had this big tech project moving to a whole new server. And I got that done in those days. And it was like detailed work and stuff that I had to do with another guy. And we plowed for it. We just got so much done. I was like, wow, this was not what I was expecting not to work because of your P1's experience. Yeah, I got like nothing done. I think I probably worked for like, I don't remember exactly, but maybe 30 to 60 minutes a day. I was thinking I might read or meditate or like do a bunch of planning, long-term thinking, strategizing, like nothing happened. It was like me and Netflix. So actually when I went out walking that one day, uh, it was just like I've been in the house for days and days and I was like, I got to get out of here. I would feel a little bit impulsive looking at the food on the street and stuff like that. Like I wanted to go and get it. And I kind of flirted with the idea of quitting the whole time. I don't think like I was actually ever seriously contemplating it, but it kind of was always there where it was like, I should just eat some food. But uh, it was nice that I got through the first day. I like that I really had some momentum going into it. Unlike P2, where actually if I had something like that, where it was like, oh, you know, I need to eat a meal. You know, I need to get this done. It would have been harder. But because I slept for most of my first 24 hours, it was already like, OK, I've already gone longer than I've ever, ever gone without food. And then I just didn't want to repeat the process. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to let myself down. So I just wrote it out and just kind of sat there through it. So it's not like a super fun experience for me, but uh, it's not like this thing where it's like agonizing pain. It's definitely way more the mental game accentuated by physical fatigue or cravings, hunger pains and reduced productivity. But ultimately, you just you sit there and write it out. So life isn't always fun. My productivity surprisingly wasn't bad. Like, so yeah, the reason why I hate I you guys was like, <laughs> like what, what happened? Even the times when my body was feeling really shit and I was dizzy if I moved around mentally, I was, I was fine. Like I said, as long as I'm looking at something and not moving around, I don't even notice some <laughs> I'm fasting, especially when I got in like on the fourth day, yeah. I, I felt much even higher energy than normal. And I slept really well the entire time. I got nine hours of sleep every single night, the entire fast. Wow. My sleep did suffer a bit. Normally, I have no trouble getting to sleep. And I remember a couple of nights, I was like, I'm not getting to sleep. And I was having to listen to podcasts and stuff. I couldn't fall asleep. I had insomnia. 
it was weird too, because I'd be tired and uh, I'd get into bed and I would just kind of like have this like residual, like wiredness that would kind of keep me awake. Me and Damien talked about this. Uh, I think you said that I probably have adrenal fatigue, which is very definite possibility. And that during the fast, the adrenals are taxed and they dump cortisol. So I think that might've been what was happening to me. Although that doesn't explain my fatigue. Your cortisol would be up just because of the stress of it. That's what I think was going on with me. And unfortunately, I had this one black coffee I would start in the morning. For some reason, I would just drink it really slowly. And it would probably go until 3. It was just one cup, but it would go until like 3 p.m., which is something I never do. So um, that was a little bit of a confounder. My sleep might just have been affected by the coffee because I never do that. I always try to get my coffee done by 12. Otherwise, I have issues. So I'm not even sure if it's a fast. When I quit coffee, I normally sleep way better. I'm a slow caffeine metabolizer, so uh, it definitely affects my sleep. And I normally take, you know, like melatonin and some other uh, supplements that help me sleep. So I was really surprised that I had a hard time falling asleep. But once I got to sleep, I think my sleep was okay. I might've woken up after six or seven hours, which I normally shoot for more. So yeah, it just kind of confounded everything. Did you guys feel, I felt really good, kind of euphoric at some, at times. I was like on a, I felt like I was on a drug high. Like seriously, that week I was like, <laughs> Tell us more about these drug highs you're familiar with. I was like, how can I go back to eating? It's just so much fun to be fasting because I was in this really good mental state the whole time. So I don't know if you had any upsides like that, things you liked about it. Halfway through the fourth day, I started to feel really good and it lasted for a couple of hours and then I went to bed and it was over. <laughs> I was hoping that would come sooner and last longer, but yeah, I didn't really get that too much. I didn't have any euphoric state. I definitely had a state where I was probably more focused, but one of the other things is I didn't walk around or leave much at all. I think the second day I went out to dinner with some friends and oh, I was just staring at the food like, man, that food was <laughs> Did you but, ask uh, them to uh, describe it to you? We're like, oh, I, yeah, just, tell me about your food. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you smelled it? Yeah, I think I did that too. Yeah. Like but um, <laughs> the longer you get into it, the longer you get into the fast, I think the easier it is for two reasons. One, because it just generally gets easier. And two, you know that you've sacrificed X amount of time to do it. So why give up now? Yeah. It's the same true with like any sort of thing you do for a period like that. Like the farther you get into it, it's like, I don't want to give up now. I don't want to give up now. Yeah. Whether it's like doing a no drinking for 30 days, the first day you could easily break it. But the 29th day, hell no. Because of my situation with my doctor had said, do it one day at a time. And I had this headache. I was flirting and I spoke to Patrick, P1. I was flirting with the idea, man, I'm not sure this is a good idea, but I'm really glad I pushed through that. After that, I didn't feel like quitting. And one of the things that was keeping me going is like, I just wanted to see how high my ketones would go because they were like shooting up every day. And I was getting pretty excited about it. I was like, how are these damn things going to get? So I think the tracking helps just because, you know, like in four hours, I'm going to test this thing and it's going to notch it up Especially again. Especially with like my kind of a little bit abnormal like experience with it. I was wondering what was going on with my ketones. Like maybe I'd had like too much sugar, like in recent times leading into the fast. Like maybe I had to detox from that or, or just like get it out of my system more. I think tracking actually would have been very nice to validate the science of what I was doing, knowing when I'm going into therapeutic ketosis. Right, right. Yeah. It's also the certainty. On day three, I knew that I was getting exactly the benefit I was looking for. So it's like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to stick this out. You're not even thinking about dumping it. Yeah. Even now there's a lingering doubt. Did I hit, you know, what were my numbers? You know, how far did I go into it? Was it actually a success? So I think it was at day five and that's what the science supports. So one thing that I was really shocked about is how much people were against this, like mainstream <laughs> people. Cause I, I started posting on my Facebook. Right. I didn't want to talk too much about it in the beginning because I was afraid that it, like, you know, if I pulled out of it and then, you know, we'd have to have that kind of a uh, egg on my face in a public forum. 
but people were just like, oh, you're not going to lose weight. Like, why are you doing this? There's no benefit to this. Oh, those things don't work. Or like, I had another friend who was just like, oh, well, you can totally eat some juice or like drink some juice. And I was like, right. Try not to get too snappy, you know, or like offended, but it's like, um, do you even know what I'm doing? Like, do you understand that that's pure sugar? So there's just this huge public backlash against like doing anything that's like not super congruent with their everyday assumptions about life. Yeah, I posted on Facebook too. And my Facebook's obviously a little bit different because I have people following the podcast, but um, I still had people saying that's really dangerous and because <laughs> they've done they've done detoxification in the past or something. And, you know, they, they got some really bad symptoms um, because they have a lot of toxins or something in their body. So that's why it can be very different depending on the person. And if it is going really rough, you probably should stop it and reconsider. Tim Ferriss did a Q&A recently on Periscope or whatever. And they, one of the questions was uh, about water fasting. And he, like, without hesitation, said you should do it with a doctor supervision. You shouldn't do it alone. Right, right, right. Well, so he, I know he did the fast for exactly the same reason. He had Lyme disease also. And so he, I was jealous of him, too, because he did it before me. <laughs> um, so he, I think he was talking about it in one of the Periscopes. He was actually doing his free day fast. And, uh, but Volta Longo is one of the, the scientists behind this. He always emphasizes people should really um, get supervision. I don't think it's a big deal for supervision. I think it's more like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be physically exerting yourself or working. You could imagine or driving, things like that. How weak I felt, I could, it's not a good idea to be driving or doing anything where you have any kind of responsibility. Do you know any of the other kind of things that get exasperated during a water fast, like blood pressure, heart rate? things like that, where somebody had like a heart condition or something like they shouldn't do this, or if they're diabetic, obviously they probably shouldn't do this. People with blood sugar regulation issues, right. like you, you got it there with diabetes. Uh, yeah. that, that's something you definitely want to be tracking. It might, you'd have to be very careful with blood sugar regulation issues. I think my headaches were uh, due to switching between blood glucose and ketones, because as soon as my ketones started going up and my blood glucose started going down, I started, I felt fine after that. I felt great. That makes sense. That. So do you think your brain was like starving for glucose and it was like, feed me? Yeah, I've had similar issues in the, in the past just because of, I got high inflammation in my body, which doesn't help. Was it uh, so. caffeinated coffee or... <laughs> Because it was very standard, normal coffee. I mix some decaf beans with some caffeine, oh. normal beans, right? So I don't have too much caffeine. I try and reduce my caffeine. Because I was going to say, what is a symptom of, uh, if you normally drink coffee and you stop drinking, it, you would get a headache anyways, regardless of whether you're fasting or not, wouldn't you? And then drinking a cup of coffee would solve that withdrawal symptom, wouldn't it? Right. No, it wasn't a withdrawal symptom because I think I long got past my, my caffeine-driven headaches, right? Um, because I don't have a lot of caffeine these days. It seems to be something I've been talking with a lot of people about this. All I know is like caffeine will fix my headaches and it's not withdrawal because I can go for a few days and I don't get them. It's something different and no one knows. It could be helping to reduce inflammation. It could be other things. No one knows yet so far. So it's just something I'm trying to still figure out. Yeah. Conversely, I'm like super addicted to caffeine. was on a ton of caffeine the day before because I was like planning on quitting and uh, I didn't get like very significant headaches or anything like that. So. So if you generally just uh, lived your life normally without drinking caffeine, regardless of doing the water fast, That'd would you get awesome. headaches? That'd be awesome. Right. So would you get headaches? I, I know. <laughs> since, since three years ago, I got bitten by a nasty tick. I've had these headaches, which will come and go. So it's due to a, a bunch of factors, low oxygen in my brain, low glucose because of inflammation, things like this. Right. So I'm a, I'm a complicated case. And with fasting and you're changing blood glucose levels and other and other potentially oxygen as well, it could have been just a side effect of that. I'm not sure why caffeine helps. So I'm a very specific case, so I think it's helpful to 
most people about it. But it's interesting to see how personal each of our experiences is. I mean, it's the whole point as well. Everyone, Everyone's body, we kind of assume we're in roughly the same place. But I think as I've gone through this journey, I realize how different everyone's body is. And you do these experiments and you get very different results. Definitely. In terms of how you are. And you can kind of see how, how far along you are on your journey to optimum health or wherever you're shooting for based on how it reacts. It was very eye-opening to like the adrenal stuff and just like how like wiped out I got and hearing you guys having like, oh my gosh, I felt great. I was productive. I could think well and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you know, those are things that are kind of glaring problems that I should go look at. Ah, so one thing I thought of, which my sister didn't tell me to after the fast, this is, I didn't realize at all. She was like, dude, your breath was nasty when you were <laughs> fasting. And I had no idea, right? And no one told me. Um, but afterwards she was like, I don't know what was going on, but it was horrible. Oh, I'm sending in a text right now. I'm asking my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it was, I knew it was going to be bad because uh, every diary I read said it and then all my friends uh, had done it. Uh, that you, you get acetone in your mouth or something. I, I don't know what it is, but it makes your mouth taste real weird too. That's how mine was at least. Right. I didn't notice my mouth. There's two factors. There's the acetone from, you know, you're burning ketones, but there's also because you're breaking down fat, there's also toxins. So I think the worse you smell is probably more toxins as well. But the acetones on them, so it doesn't taste, it doesn't smell great. <laughs> I mean, were you guys doing like a thorough like mouth hygiene routine? I would brush my teeth twice a day. Brushing, yeah, usual brushing brush teeth. I was like, even though I wasn't eating, I was still brushing my teeth and flossing. Yeah, but flossing like, me. do you brush your tongue like really thoroughly? I brush it. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. I'll keep that piece of advice and I'll do it. No. Your tongue? Huh? <laughs> do you brush the bottom of your tongue? Or just the no, top? I've tried uh, and the roof of my mouth, but no, I uh, I just thoroughly brush my tongue. It's uh, it's like one of the biggest things you can do to kill bacteria in your body or something like that. I forgot the factoid surrounding it, but it's especially bad breath. That's like where bad breath lives. I'm just about to start taking mouth probiotics because I've had my I'm playing around my biome right now, and I'm I've looked at my mouth biome and everything, and I have some not so great. Uh, bacteria in my mouth, which I want to zap. So I'm going to be taking um, probiotics and stuff to try and shift them. I've already killed half of them through an antibiotics course, but how are you measuring the bacteria in your mouth? It's a uh, biome. You send your samples off there. So I do. I've been doing a five site thing. Coming soon in an episode, we'll talk all about my little, my little experiments awesome. in. Uh, I'm calling it my blitz of the biome because I'm just throwing everything I found at it to try and shift it because it's not actually that easy to. You should call it biome blitz. All right, I'll call it Biome Blitz just for you. You heard it here first, people. So uh, let's do a shout out. I have a couple things I'd like to promote. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So after the fast, how did it go after the fast? Did you have any symptoms or anything? It was so amazing. <laughs> I went to Brew Lab, which is like this chemistry-like like coffee shop here in Istanbul with like the best coffee I've ever had in my life. And like the Turkish barista champion works there. I just found out yesterday. And I had cake and I had espressos. And then I went and had like Popeye's chicken and I had like a donut. I wow. ate so much junk and I just went hog wild. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what that feels like. Yeah, I was like, it's on. I was up at like 8 a.m. I set my alarm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I actually read. Go ahead. You have something. <laughs> I'm done. I, I I was reading that the the way you break your fast. Um, I don't know if there's any science backing this up, but the way you break your fast is not only important from like a, a health perspective, 
Like apparently if you break it uh, a long enough fast the wrong way, it can actually be detrimental. But it, it also affects how your body reproduces the white and red blood cells that die off and stuff. I was reading this. I don't know if it's true. So I actually ate, um, I started off just with a piece of watermelon and then I ate small more amounts of that. Like I would dilute juice with water and drink a little bit of that. And it took me about two days before I actually ate a full meal again. And I noticed my, my stomach was much smaller and I felt better almost immediately. Like even though that fifth day was, uh, by the nighttime, I was feeling much better because I was over the hunger pains and the, the neck pains and all that stuff. As soon as I ate, I don't know if it's placebo coming in where it's like, yeah, I have food, so I'm going to feel normal again or what. But it was within like two hours, I felt almost normal um, energy wise as well. It was weird. The second thing is, is uh, what would you change if you uh, if you did it again? I would measure more things because without measuring it, it's really hard to tell what's going on other than just the, the fact that you're doing it. And I would do it longer. I would do seven or 10 days the next time. I would not binge before and after. So I wouldn't do it so extreme. So. I'd also like to have my adrenals more dialed in. Um, so I'm hoping to do one by the end of the year. I was actually thinking about going on a meditation retreat at the same time. I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, given my experience the first time where like I did not feel like I could meditate at all. But at some of these things. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things, because people often go on these fasting meditation retreats. Oh, I was combo. tracking my meditation and I had one one day was really good. It was my top score, but otherwise the days were normal. So I don't know. I don't think there's any real benefit. What was that measuring? That's using Amuse Calm. So it's EEG. Oh, okay. So does that measure your brainwaves? It's measuring your, your calm. They, they have a calm index basically, right? So they've, they've constructed their own index. And right. I hate these proprietary indexes that are black boxes. Just give me the raw data, at least, if you're going to give me some. Right. It, it, it does. I've had the girl, I've interviewed the girl, so she'll be um, be behind it, Ariel Garten. So she talks a bit about the actual things that go into their, their algorithm. So I got I got reasonable trust in it. it. It fits with my days where I'm I'm feeling more stressed for whatever reason. Like this morning, for example, it was a harder meditation session based on their algorithm. But anyway, so I didn't see anything in that. Because I know people often talk about fasting, going away to fast and meditate. I'm not sure it's that beneficial. What do you mean that beneficial? I was just thinking I'd kill. Well, but people do it because they think they're going to have a calmer mind, oh, right? That, right. That's, if you look at the marketing pages of these retreats, that's what they're saying. Like, you know, you go away, you're not going to eat and it's going to help you focus. And, you know, I've never even heard of one. I didn't know that the combo of the two existed. I just thought it would be two birds, one stone type of thing where uh, because I've heard of some of these retreats, like normal ones like they kind of starve you anyways. Like you might just have like, uh, like you stop eating at noon or something like that. They get you up at like 4 a.m. You have like a breakfast, like alms or something like that. You go and beg for, for mangoes. But yeah, I think it would be tough. So both of you would do this again? Would I? Yeah, I'm gonna. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would, I would do it again for sure. Yeah. But I would do it, uh, I, would, I would do it with measuring stuff in longer because I think there's, like I cut it off early because of the visa thing and I didn't measure anything which I wanted to because I, didn't, I couldn't find the equipment that I wanted. Why do you want to go longer? So I was reading that uh, this is also like what you read is also really, I think it's pretty, it's pretty gray on what the truth is. But um, sure. the longer you do it, the bigger the benefits. I think the longer you're in ketosis, probably the more profound, the more able your body is to, yeah. to repair itself, so, I would say. I think five is actually a little my, bit short. My thinking, so at three days, some people get into ketosis, right? Um, I think that was on the other podcast. But anyways, I would think it would make sense to do shorter ones. One, because it's easier and it's a less of a ding to your lifestyle and then do them more often because then it's actually forcing your body to like switch into ketosis and then you can do it more quickly. That's my 
the question would be, I guess, how how long do you mm-hmm. need to be in ketosis for your body to really start repairing mm-hmm. itself down at the mitochondria level? Like, That's does it need ketosis for X amount of time? I don't, it's hard to say, but yeah. I think we would all agree that the longer you're in it, the better the benefits, right? Or would you say too long is... It depends what you're looking for, I think. It's just one of these depends things. If If I had cancer and I was tackling that, I would be more focused on longer fasts. I would be like, I'm just going to starve these cells because it's, it's more base. That's the uh, mechanism you're using. You're starving them with the glucose. You're using ketones as, as therapy there. And so I'd be going for longer ones. For the regeneration of the immune system, the research so far has been looking at three to five day fasts. And he's even now started introducing certain nutrients. So you can, it's a, they call it a fasting mimicking diet, right? So he hasn't actually released the details of that. I want to get him on the show and I want to see the research when it comes out this year. Um, and then I'm going to start playing around with that because I think that may be more beneficial because you'll be able to take some things which can support your body. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just do that all the time? Right. Well, you still do. You would still do it like once a month or he's saying like once every three months. I'm planning like I'm feeling great. I think it has. I haven't got any measure on this. Next time I plan to take some more measures, some blood labs and stuff that will help to kind of see this. But I think it's it has helped my immune system. I'm feeling much stronger than I was before. It took me about a week afterwards to kind of get that feeling. So I'm probably feeling the best I ever have since the last three years. So I'm thinking about doing this once every month um, until a five day. I'm thinking five days right now, um, but I'm going to track and read more into the research to try and shorten it so you can fit it into your life. If I'm going to do it once per month, it's, it's a bit logistically uh, could be a pain in the ass. Yeah. I, I met a guy who uh, he said he used to do these, uh, try getting into ketosis quicker by doing high intensity cardio for the first like, like mm. day and a half when he did starve himself. And he said he got into ketosis within like under two days. I don't know if that's true or what, but that's what he said. He was measuring or, but it makes sense, right? That you would, yeah, you would because you burn it out and you need more fuel. That's like when you do cardio normally, like you can switch into like a fat burning state. Have you ever gotten nauseous when you've been working out? Cause you've been, you've done it yeah. too high intensity, right? That's cause it's your yeah. blood sugar is bottoming out there. I used to get that quite a lot with CrossFit. What's the mechanism of that? Well, because using you, like, why would you get nauseous? Well, actually, if you have good blood sugar regulation, that shouldn't happen. I've, I've had a slight issue with mine for a while now. So you're getting hyper Got it. and that makes you nauseous. And yeah. I, I was just curious why like your stomach would kind of get queasy. I don't know what the me- specific mechanism is. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the fight or flight, like people empty their bowels or, you know, like wet themselves. And it's just because <laughs> like, well, no. And if you've ever had like a like life threatening, terrifying event happen to you, like you, you will yet. have to fight the urge to piss your pants. Uh, have you been through that? It sounds like you're several talking from experience. times. Yeah, I've had it where it's like, and I'm about to pee my pants. <laughs> Put away the gun. I kind of thought of that as like, this is kind of totally random here now. Thank you, P1. Yeah. Um, but I kind of thought that was like <laughs> you taking your full attention off your bodily movements and your bodily yeah. control. And no, you know, so not, everything not, just falls out. But those things are conscious. So that's the thing. But it's your body just being like, you know, fight or flight, you need to run. And it's like so urgent that like your body needs to send all resources yeah. to the muscles. Like, so your sphincters loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's- And with that, any final comments? That's a great place. To- <laughs> I think the easiest way to convince people, this is what I'd say is the easiest way to convince people to do it is like when you lose your appetite or when you, when you get sick, you often lose your appetite. Think about why that is. It makes sense when you think about it. Maybe I'm making a false assumption in that your body doesn't want to eat because it doesn't want to use the energy to digest the food. It wants to use its energy to heal itself. Same idea when you're water fasting. That's the way I look at it. 
I would tell people to just go and do it. Get off the sidelines. Don't even think about it. Just stop eating. You know, if you have a health um, existing health condition or something like that, or if you're on like prescription drugs and you're thinking about quitting those at the same time, so I would definitely, you know, talk to your doctor. That never hurts. But ultimately, I would suspect that most doctors aren't going to be hip to this research. So it's going to be more like, what are the possible things like the blood sugar uh, regulation? Um, but just do it. You can always pull out of it too. You know, it's like, have you ever been hungry? Great. So you've already had a taste of this. So yeah, stop. Thinking. Tell them the research too. Everything, all the research is showing. Do that. Just do it. <laughs> like you said, there's a lot of stuff on you. I watched some stuff on YouTube about 40 day fasts and there were people who you'd like had, you know, uh, chronic strange, um, issues like, like brain headaches and like, and stuff like that, which they couldn't get rid of. And a 40 day a 40 day fast finally resolved it for them. And so that's we're obviously very anecdotal, but I think in some cases it can be useful just because you're giving your body a break and it can focus yeah. on, on different things. Yeah. Do you know anything about the uh, inflammation dropping from this? Like the, the measures of people actually tracking that? I don't, that would be an interesting thing to track. You'd have to have yeah. a relatively, you, you could do it. I know your CRP is a little bit more elevated than mine. Um, I've driven it down. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, then, then it went back up, but it's still like, you know, in a healthy range compared to a normal. Right. Person. But if like CRP would be interesting if you have a higher CRP, I'd like to see that kind of stuff. Um, my, mine's like way too low to see any change. But if someone's closer to one or something or even over one, I think that would be interesting to look at. Yeah, I think it was like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 a couple of months ago. So yeah, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have access to those blood labs where I'm going next, but we'll see. All right. Thanks, guys. It's been great chatting about this experience. And uh yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pretty cool experience. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think it's a fun thing to do. I actually like doing things that are different in life anyway. I feel like you kind of learn to be more mentally resilient kind of out of these little things as well. You know, you're like, it's not such a big deal. It's, it's just like food, you know. Coming off of the fast, I felt absolutely unstoppable when it comes to discipline. It was just like, I've done that. You know, I've quit eating for five days. So it just really changed my perspective on things like that. So... So absolutely. That's a good, that's a really good point. You know, we should, we should do this again. It was great talking to you guys. And there's so much more I want to say, but I don't want to, I want to, you know, I want to get to this point. So we, we should do this again sometime if you guys have time. Right? I'd love to. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Okay. Nice seeing you guys. Take it easy. All right, ciao. Okay. So rounding off this episode, there's a few more takeaways. There's actually a lot more information on the blog for this one. In particular, if you want to do this at home, there's all of the how to exactly what I did broken down into steps, what you need to buy, the kit in terms of the meters and so on. So if you want to do this at home, all the information is on the blog at verquantifiedbody.net forward slash fast, F-A-S-T. And you know, you'll find the how-to there and exactly what I suggest you do it for efficiency. And there's also the budget and all of these little practical details because I want to make these as practical as possible and I'm doing my best. You tell me if you need something else, if there's any more information I can give you to make this easier. I even put a little uh, video up there which shows you how to take readings. There's a few little tricks I learned when taking the readings so that I didn't waste strips, which can the ketone ones work out a little bit more expensive, so I don't want to waste them. Uh, so watch that video also because if you're going to start measuring glucose and ketones, uh, check that out. I measured my blood, ketones and glucose four times per day. You don't need to do that. I was doing that because I wanted to get a bit more specific about what was going on. But to keep the cost lower and to make it more convenient, you could just do it once in the morning. So it's stuff like this I go into detail in the blog as well as some of the other effects that came up. Some of the other things from HRV tracking, from Muse, 
tracking with my meditations every morning and things like this. Not a lot of detail there. Didn't go into a lot of detail there, but I did track a bit more information, had some ideas about things I'm going to look at in the future, but definitely no clear outcome there as yet. I wasn't really doing it in depth. Okay, so I really enjoyed this and I hope you do also because this is something I want to build as a community, some place where you can come to start changing your life one step at a time, one little experiment at a time, one little hack at a time, one, you know, one little adding one kind of tool to your life, adding one tactic to your life that you do maybe once a month like I'm doing with this. For me, it's this process of adding something in, it working or not for your personal biology, we're all different. And uh, that's where the experimentation comes in. It's important because each of us is different and we have lots of different factors in terms of genetics, epigenetics. It's not sure that each thing's going to work for us. And that's what this podcast is about, making sure that it works for you. So I'm hoping that there's going to be more people that are going to start using this and actually taking it home and doing these experiments. I'd love to hear about those. And so again, you can reach out to me at Twitter or email if you've got your own experiences to share. Let me know how this episode is because I'm going to be doing more of these in the future. I've got a bunch of experiments I'm working on right now and things that are coming up soon. And you may be interested in some of those. I'm working on hacking my biome, like my whole biome, not just my gut biome, because it's a bit of a mess based on my biome data I've collected. I've been collecting a lot of that data over the last uh, year. So, you know, there's a post that's coming out on that, uh, not for a little while yet, because I got some experiments to do and some more data to collect on that. So that that's one of the things we're, we're going to be doing going forward. And then I've got the Walsh Protocol, which takes about six months before I finish that. So that's not coming up for a while. And I've got some other things I'm working on also. Great to have you listening on the podcast. Great to hear your feedback as usual. And I'll talk to you soon on another episode. To get more of The Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.